get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 104 of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Just wrapped up a three-game series out in beautiful, sunny Miami, where the Mets win the series. A little bit of a, I don't want to say a stinker at the end, but... Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Bittersweet, because the Mets win the series, but the end of the series left a little bit of a bitter taste in our mouth. So we're going to talk about everything that happened out in Miami, as well as all the storylines going on in the Mets world in today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast. So if you guys are not yet following us, make sure you do on all our social media, at Mets Up. You'll be able to see all the content that we're posting over there. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find ours. Drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us out. Without further ado, on a fairly quick intro, James, how you doing, man? Welcome back. Good, man. Happy to be here. Hello. Long weekend, a lot of traveling today. Very excited to be recording. Yeah, you came from Westfield all the way to Brooklyn yep. in an Uber. Yeah, and then hopped on my bike in Brooklyn, rolled up to Astoria for the show. But shout out my little sister, Julia, graduation party yesterday, hell of a time by everybody except her. Had a little too much to drink. Also shout out her friends from Michigan who are big, big, big fans of the Messed Up podcast. Jill, birthday on Monday. Shout you out, Jill. And shout out Tasha. If anyone follows me on Instagram, Tasha is an incredible artist, and we're redoing, my parents are redoing their kitchen, so once everyone had a few drinks, they were like, let's screw up the cabinets. Yeah. My mom took out a pack of Sharpies, and everyone was drawing things, like a little message to my sister, like funny stuff, and we thought my dad was maybe going to get mad because he was still outside talking with a friend, so I'm like, how can we make my dad as least mad as possible? And I was like, Tasha, draw a picture of the ball going through Billy Buckner's legs on on my cabinet. And with a black sharpie, she drew it like to a T perfectly. Incredible. You, you Check it post, out on my Instagram. Yeah, you got to post it on the, on the Mets Up Instagram. Yeah, do maybe I should. a picture yeah, right, of that. Right. You can throw a picture up there. So, yeah, I mean, relatively good weekend for everybody. Good Everybody's weekend. happy. Yeah, fun weekend. Good times. Mets also like good, but like less good than it could have been good. It could have been sick. Could have been amazing. Could have been an amazing weekend if we ended up getting that sweep. But of course, we have to start off with game one, which was probably the game that everybody, us included, had circled as the one that if you are going to lose a game to the Marlins, it would be this one. Because, yeah, we're going up against possible Cy Young Award winner this year, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, and this is the one we went into the last, we ended the last episode with saying, like, I don't feel like good about it. You kind of think that this could be that first time this year the Mets lose their third straight game, which is ridiculous to say with July on the calendar next week. I mean, the Mets are 20 games above 500, right? So, I mean, like, they're, they're just a good team. But, yeah, losing three games in a row, I mean, the Dodgers lost three in a row, the Pirates at home. It's just, it happens in a baseball season, not yet to the Mets. Not yet to the Mets. But, again, this was the one, if it was going to happen, it was going to be this. But the tone was kind of set right away in the first inning because with two out and nobody on, Sandy got Nimmo and Marte out on five pitches. That is the other crazy thing about facing Sandy. Like, even though you can't really hit him, it's almost impossible to bring his pitch count up. Our friend Meek Phil actually tweeted this because he keeps everything so on the zone so consistently. And it's not even like he's in the zone, like he's filling up the zone. He just lives on those edges with 98 with movement. And it's unbelievable. But Marte and Nimmo got out, five pitches, first two out to the game. Francisco Lindor comes up, down 1-2, works the count all the way back, full-on eight-pitch at bat, and on that eighth pitch, laces a home run over the center field wall to make it one nothing. Off a 99-mile-an-hour sinker, which is the fastest pitch Lindor has hit a home run off of in his major league career. Fun stat. Shout out to John, the producer, for getting us that awesome stat. This other thing I thought was interesting, too, was that Lindor's home run, even though it was to center field in Marlins Park or Lone Depot Field, what's it called? I think Lone Depot. Lone Depot Field, whatever it's called. Everyone thinks about it as a hitter's... or Lowercase L, too. Lowercase L. Everyone thinks of it as a pitcher's park. My bad, not a hitter's park. Definitely a pitcher's park. But that home run by Lindor was only a home run in Lone Depot Park or whatever really? it's called. Nowhere else, which I thought was a super, 
super interesting stat because it was low. It was low and it was to center field. And I think it was just kind of to a perfect spot where it was short in Lone Depot and every other stadium, it would not have gone out. So That's weird home run, but hey, we take it there in the first inning, jumping on Sandy Alcantara and Lindor swinging the bat well again. Yes, he, he also missed first base, which is a pretty funny moment. He had to like jog back, kind of laughing, like having fun. It was, that, was, that was a good moment. Yeah, uh, thank goodness he did go back and touch yeah, it. Yeah, that would have been, oh my God. The, the last th- thing we needed is Francisco Lindor to miss first base on a home run when the Mets are like uh, losing two games in a row before that. In terms of this game, like in that situation, lift Sandy on the mound and just the Lindorks having more ammo. Yeah, no, we don't need to give them any more ammo. But hey, home run out to an early lead. But then the Marlins just kind of scratched right back. Marlins, you said last week, king of the bloops. They are so annoying. I tweeted out last week that I'm tired of playing them already, and those were our first three games. I'm continue. I, I, I still am tired of playing this Marlins team. They don't particularly play good baseball, but they are so annoying. Whether it's John Birdie it's or not Garrett, that bad of baseball. They play. They have a decent. They have like no. They have good players. Yeah, but their baseball quality, like they have. Almost no fundamentals. I will I be an know. old man this on is, the hill here. That's a hard. That's a hard line to draw. I don't know how you can quantify that. But Watch these games. Yeah, Gary Cooper also kind of doesn't have our number. He's a good hitter. He's yes. someone who's gonna probably be on the move the trade deadline. Someone who could be a fun addition to any team who needs offense. He got a blue RBI single, but the Mets came right back. Mark Curios, our boy, Mark Hanna, solo home run again off of Sandy, put the Mets back out in front. Yeah, no, it was really excited to see Mark Hanna hit that home run. Didn't play him in fantasy this week, so that's on me. It was a bad week. I didn't play Christian Javier either. Rough. Obviously, he basically threw a no-hitter, but Mark Hanna, Mark Cheerios, he's there for you. He's reliable. There is a reason we gave him that nickname. The dude just comes up clutch yet again for this team. Yeah, but again, right back, the following half inning, bottom of the fifth, the Marlins scratch another one back against Taiwan Walker. John Birdie hit a single, and then Jazz Chisholm hit a single. Two Starling Marte in right field. Birdie being the little speed demon gremlin that he is. Rounds that bag hard, goes right to third base. Starling Marte, probably half of being like, I want to get this out. The other half being like, I want to get this guy out. Yeah. Wound up for a big-time throw at Eduardo Escobar. Went, got there in a hop or two. Eduardo Escobar caught it at the bag. Still tried for a tag, even though Birdie beat it. Allowed Jazz Chisholm to reach second base on that play, which at the time made me incredibly nervous. And also ended up being a kind of extremely important play in the game, despite it not really being as important as it looked on the field, because Jazz pulled up a little bit lame, and we ended up finding out he like tweaked his back a little bit. He had spasms. Spasms, okay, he had some spasms in his back, and he ends up leaving the game in the next inning, which we'll get to here in a second. Obviously, they did end up scoring a run here. Jorge Soler hit an RBI, uh, ground ball, right? Hard ground ball. Yeah, and it did turn out to just be good work by Taiwan Walker to get out of that inning, only allowing the one, because I believe it was second and third, neither one out or none out. Yeah, no, and Taiwan got out of it, and Taiwan was great again, which I know you're going to dive deep into. Yeah, we'll do a Taiwan talk, but we have to talk about the top of the sixth inning, because Mets fans, this was one of the craziest Mets innings, not only this year, but that we've seen in recent Mets memory. It's a team with a lot of crazy innings. It was absolutely insane, the fact that I, I've weirdly had this situation happen with Buck Showalter before where I've been watching a game. I was watching a game when he was managing the Orioles, and I was talking to my dad, and I was like, what if a runner slides in the middle of the baseline on a double play? That's it. You're sliding towards second base. You can't really tell the guy when or when he isn't doing that, and that's exactly what happened in this inning. And did you hear yesterday they were actually talking either with Buck or with Nimmo about that? I don't remember who. This is a Buck Showalter thing. Well, saying in spring training, they teach this play because it's kind of the only option you can do to almost even confuse an infielder and try and get your guy running down the line to first an extra half a second to beat it out. Not even considering the other hoopla that would happen around would actually happen, but talk about this inning specifically. Mark mentioned Jazz is out of the game. Williams Astudio, everybody's favorite 
short pudgy backup catcher, utility man actually comes in the game second baseman. Technically actually came in at third. Yeah, Luke Williams this, yeah, went to second and then way. they flopped him yeah. on the next play, which bizarre. Bizarre. Again. That was really weird. And then at this moment, I texted Mark. This game is zipping. And I, I was not happy. I, I mean, I don't, saying a game is fast doesn't have anything to do with the outcome of it, but that was 8-12 p.m., and we had gone through five innings in like 85 minutes. The game was zipping. <laughs> the game was zipping by. It's just it's the kiss of death, especially for me as a high school former baseball player. I'll make that very clear because my, my baseball playing days ended after high school. But that's like you never you never see the games going by quick because as soon as you do, some something crazy starts to happen, and literally within seconds of you sending that text – Everything went crazy. It's like they threw molasses all over Lone Depot Park. But Tomas Nito with a hard ground ball up the middle off of Sandy that just wasn't able to be gotten to. Got a single, which again, Tomas Nito, while he isn't, he's not, no one's going to confuse Tomas Nito with like Alejandro Kirk or, or Wilson Contreras as an elite offensive catcher. But he finds ways to get on base at seemingly critical moments. The Nimmo bunted the ball down the line, wound up with a base hit out of it. I don't know if that was the intention or if they were just trying to play small ball against like one of the best pitchers in baseball. But I think Nimmo had hit in his mind the whole way down the line. Paul just couldn't be fielded cleanly by, again, Luke Williams, who is not much not, of a third baseman. I don't think he is third baseman. He's really an outfielder. Yeah, yeah, by trade. So now we have first and second, nobody on. First and second, nobody out for Starling Marte, who hits a dribbler to the inexperienced Williams Asudio at second base, kind of right in front of where Brandon Nimmo was running, the play we alluded to before. And Brandon Nimmo, as Asudio is going to tag him, hits the deck. Yeah, and Asudio... Loki kind of made a decent little play despite... kind of brilliant. It was kind of brilliant. He had the ball in his throwing hand, so he tagged Nimmo, who went down to the ground, like we said, kind of sliding, kind of just getting lower, tagged him with the, the glove, no ball in there, had the ball in his hands, threw it to first, and he did immediately signal, like, I didn't get him, yes. go ahead and tag him. But here's where it got interesting was that, one, Starling Marte was safe at first yeah, because of the attempt Ruled tag. out at the moment, though. Yeah, ruled, ruled out, out on at the, the field. Moment. And Brandon Nimmo was actually called out on the field on the first initial tag, even though he didn't have the ball in his glove. So this started one of the craziest manager challenges that I've ever seen. Double challenge. Double challenge. Buck Showalter masterclass. We've been saying that a lot recently, but Buck has really been just absolutely on top of the game recently. He's been so sharp. And he double challenges saying that Brandon Nimmo got called out on a play where he wasn't called out, so he was deceived as a runner. Deceived the runner. Yes, which the umpire cannot do. As well as Willie uh, Starling Marte ended up being safe at first. So the Marlins went from getting out of a first and second nobody out situation to now having bases loaded and nobody out. It was absolute chaos. The, the announcers, even Gary, Ron, and Keith were like, oh my... I've never seen anything like this. And when you have the replay system, you're so used to seeing one play challenged. A double challenge, just, I, I have never seen it before. I was also going to say about Asadio, just to give him credit for the baseball instinct there of actually trying to deceive a runner, even though it is something you literally, like, literally can't do. Because if you're playing like in any other baseball league on earth, besides Major League Baseball, where you have instant replay and these guys who know everything, like you get away with that and it's yeah. actually double play. If you're in the minor league, that's double play. If you're in like a winter league, that's a double play. And that is the kind of thing that will like change the course of a baseball game. If the Mets, if this inning winds up a man on third and two out, there's absolutely no, there's no way to determine who would have won the game. It would have been crushing. Yeah. It would have been crushing to see that opportunity just kind of slip through the cracks. But luckily it didn't. I mean, also the play for Williams Astudio too. He like, he tried to deceive, you know, literally, literally tried to deceive, but he also was like, tag him, tag him. Yeah. The umpire screwed up 100%. everything. The umpire just not actually being aware of what was going on. It kind of cost Williams Astudio the shot at a good play. Cause even if he just 
they get Brandon Nimmo out. They call starting Marte save first. Still a very different situation. First and third, one out. Bases loaded, nobody out. Yeah, no. The, the umpiring was not particularly sharp this series throughout the entire thing. Home plate umpiring was a little suspect. But I mean, it's also, we can't even talk about that because it's always kind of like of that. Of course, of course. Yeah. I just felt, you know, I just, I'm, I'm not a big umpire guy. I think you've learned this from the year plus of doing this podcast now. Any chance I get to rub some dirt into the umpire's face, I'm going to do it and I'll do it here. It's a terrible visual. It ended up being great though for the Mets. What, what an absolute turn of events. No, oh, because Francisco Lindor comes up next. With a home run already in this game, lined up Sandy once again and laced a double over the center fielder's head. Very similar batted ball to where he put it over in the first inning. All three guys came around to score. Funny moment where it looked like Starling Marte read the ball a little bit better than Nimmo. Yeah. Also needed a better jump to score from first than Nimmo did to need to score from second. And the two fastest guys in the team are suddenly running like step for step with each other around third base. And a good throw home from the Marlins cutoff. I think that was Acidio actually on the cutoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's not a second baseman. Just completely sailed over Jacob Stallings. Allowed both of them to get in safely. When realistically, there could have been a situation there where it was like the Dodgers from yep. 2006. Where a good throw kind of would, maybe would have got both of them out. But and that would have also been crushing horrifying. to the ending. Would have been absolutely crushing. Yeah, Nimmo didn't get the best read on the ball off the bat. But it's also impressive to see that we got in such a lucky scenario too. Because Nimmo and Marte are the two fastest players yeah. on this New York Mets team. If it's anybody else, I mean, Marte cannot possibly score. I just said that. Did you? I did. Did I blank out on that? Because I was thinking about the Dodgers play. <laughs> no, oh, that's man. fine. I think it was, sometimes just think about Paul Duca and your mind goes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Duca. I got an autograph of Paul Duca. Really? I did too. Signature moments in Westfield. Grew up around the corner from my dad in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Yes. Same block. Hey, nice. Crazy. Shout, shout to Brooklyn. Yeah. Shout to Brooklyn. But yeah, that was the way that the Mets offensive rally kind of got started. And they really just kind of held it tough the entire game once they got that lead. Now we do have to talk about Taiwan, though, because Taiwan really, we talked about how great his last appearance was. He just keeps on pitching so well. Chugging. He's a beast. He's a bulldog again. He is. And when you get five runs in Marlins Park, that's usually enough. The Marlins yeah. in Marlins Park are almost never going to be able to beat that number. I don't think they'd be the ones this series. I don't think so, no. No, yeah. But. Got to talk about Tywin Walker because, once again, quite good. Him, along with Peterson, who we'll talk about, and Bassett, these guys really stepping up in the wake of the Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom injuries. This wasn't like a monster like Taiwan performs. Like, this was not as good as his last two starts. No, yeah. But it's really hard to, like, face the same team twice in a week and be able to shut them down consecutively. We even saw that with the other guy in this game, Sandy Alcantara. But six innings from Taiwan, eight hits. They scattered around five, five strikeouts, two walks, three earned runs. One of those earned runs was inherited for Drew Smith. We'll talk about him in a moment, but this is just broken record. But guys, the split change in the slider all over it. Those two pitches made up 56% of Taiwan's pitches on Friday, 30% whiffs. It's the guy's a whole new pitcher. He's whole, incredible. Whole new guy. I mean, he looks so, so good. And we even saw a little bit of a change. You thought at first that yeah. maybe he was attempting to hide the baseball a little bit better. But it ended up that we've seen the past him use more of a traditional windup where he's squared up with home plate when he starts. Now he kind of takes that Tyler McGill. We've seen Noah Syndergaard side do it step. in the past. The sidestep where he's basically in the stretch but does the windup in a sort of kind of different way. Um, and it, it, it seems to be working. It seems it's a really easy way for him to keep his mechanics simple and be able to repeat things over and over again, a lot less movement, which Especially, is something that you see a lot of big pitchers do. Yeah, as a very big guy, just like Tyler McGill, just like Noah Syndergaard. And that, if that is just one of the many things that Jeremy Hefner has added to Taiwan Walker, changed to Taiwan Walker, helped him develop better, just got to give all the credit to the god, Hef. But again, Taiwan... Great. He's been a steadying force in this rotation. Another very good start. Huge. Huge while we have DeGrom and Scherzer and McGill on the bend on the IL. And look at us going through tape. Tape guys. Tape guys. Tape guys. We're, now, we're, we're with the Mets now. We got to be tape guys. Well, we're always tape guys. We're official now. 
This thing did get kind of hairy, though, in the seventh inning because the Mets did try to extend Taiwan and get him through that seventh inning. And we actually had a conversation about this in the new messed up group chat between me, Mark, and producer John, who's hanging out right here. In that moment, you kind of see a Marlins order. You're at the bottom of it, not that impressive bottom of the order. No. And the top of the order is significantly less impressive because Jazz Chisholm, like we said before, has left the game. So instead of a very powerful second baseman hitting second, you're Williams Astudido there. I love Williams Astudido, but he's not exactly a hitter you should fear. No, Williams Astudido is not good. So you leave him in. Maybe if he gets the first batter out, you can kind of cruise through the inning. But he did not get the first batter out. I think believe it was Jacob Stallings to the single. Yeah. And then you yank him. Which was the right move. 100%. I think that was the right move by Buck. Uh, we That was kind of what we all exactly agreed in. Exactly what we said. And the group chat, that was our census was that, or consensus. Not the census. Not the census. That's a that's something you fill out. That's, that's a, a survey. <laughs> but that was our consensus was that as soon as you let someone on, get him out of the game, and Buck yanked him real quick. Drew Chains did come in, though, and kind of got us, he scared us a little bit. He just didn't really have the command. He didn't have the fastball command. He didn't have the slider command. He was missing bats. He got the two strikeouts, but he walked three batters, including after he loaded the bases, struck out two, then walked, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Garrett Cooper. It might have been Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper's a good little ball player. I think it was, too, because yeah. Garrett Cooper's on my fantasy team, and I was like, RBI walk. There you go. And then got the run in there. So now we're looking at 5-3, place I didn't really want to hang out. Adam Alavino came in, and this is when we were still super high on Adam Alavino. I mean, still, I'm not, I'm not using any reactionary stuff here, but... Adam Alavino, who I believe for like the fourth or fifth at the time, straight appearance, maybe sixth, did not allow any inherited runners to score, got out of it, and nice and easy from there. Yeah, no, it was it really was super easy. Uh, we got to see Jimmy Yacobonis come back in later in this game in a big moment up against Pete. Double foreshadow here, because we were giving a lot of credit to Alavino, who busted up the game on Saturday, and now we're giving a lot of credit to Yacobonis, who busted up the game on, <laughs> I know. on Saturday. Uh, Alavino Sunday, my bad. Yeah, no, Yacobonis. He's uh, a witch, though. He's a witch. Yeah, he is a little bit of a witch. And his, shout out New Jersey. His sinker was just absolutely... No, that wasn't him. That was Zach Pop, I'm thinking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they just talk about that. They have a guy. lot of random, just no-name guys that have some witch-like stuff in That's the like the first sign of an organization that's coming together though when you just drop in a reliever out of nowhere and he's doing things that got on pitching ninja that is the first step in becoming a good team now yeah and then we kind of just wrap up this game here with edwin diaz being edwin diaz lights out untouchable and tomas nido making one of the best plays from a catcher i've ever seen in my life such a sick throw i don't think it gets played up enough how perfect this throw was from his knees he put it in such a spot where Luis Guillorme literally Didn't caught it on the guy's head, which was exactly where it needed to be because of how good of a jump he got stealing the base. Tomas Nio threw this ball to second base 73 miles an hour from his knees. Yeah, which is pretty impressive. The tag out John Birdie, who was, I believe, 21 for his last 21. What a longest, I think it was the longest streak in Marlins history. Yeah, no, John Birdie is a fat, oh. he's a fast man. He, can we trade, we could trade for him, right? I would love to get John Birdie. <sighs> Just even to get him away from playing us. I'd yeah. be fine to <laughs> get for him. Send him down. Send him down, <laughs> you never play again. Not actually, because he's actually playing very well this year. He's an incredible ball player. But also, shout out to Yorme on this play. Blocked the bag. Yes. Took a spike. Full speed from John Birdie, who's a big fan of the feet first slide. Loves feet first. Doesn't really, not a big head first slide guy. Maybe he had a finger issue or wrist issue or shoulder issue from back in his day. But Luis Guillerme blocking the bag, just ate a spike on his foot, got the tag down, changed the inning, Edwin Easy, move along. Move along. And that was the end of game one. We don't lose three straight. And the Mets take the first game of the series. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now on to game two. We got Chris Bassett, who's been great for us recently. Just a great starting pitcher going up against Trevor Rogers, who we saw last week. Had one of his better starts of the year against the Mets, so it was interesting to see what the Mets would do against him, seeing him for a second time this season. And just like the Mets kind of have done all year, got ahead real early. Scored first. Scored first with a P. Alonzo home run, which I believe was the shortest home run of his entire career. If, if it's not the shortest, it's one of the shortest. Yeah. He just It was a, the cheapest home run Pete Alonzo's ever hit. It, it snuck over the fence, which is something we don't really ever get to say about Pete Alonso, but I don't care. This guy hits 450 home runs. They count as one. He can get a cheap one every once in a while. Not long after that, we had Marte and Lindor back-to-back hits, a Marcana RBI ground ball, and our producer John gave us a great stat. Marcana has had 11 opportunities this year to drive in a runner from third with less than two outs, and he's completed that task eight times. Mark, eight for 11. Marky Cheerios, he's there for you when you need him. It's like 83%. So much fiber. It's yes. unbelievable. And then Eduardo Escobar, maybe off the schneid for a half a second, a two-out RBI single, one of the few times we got the clutch hit like that all series. And to be fair, this fills in right to what I talked about last episode. Narrative. Get on my soapbox. <laughs> Eduardo Escobar against left-handed pitching. Does well. He can swing the bat a heck of a lot better against the lefties, and he showed it nice and early in this game with that two-out RBI. Absolutely. I think there was also a J.D. Davis walk mixed in there. He also, better against lefties. Better against lefties, for sure. But that being said, Marlins hopped right back. Chris Bassett, a little bit of trouble with the home run ball this game, I would say. This year. This year, I guess, in general. Uh, Jesus Sanchez hit a absolute bomb of a home run and he's he's a strong young guy i'm i'm kind of excited to watch jesus sanchez develop because just as a baseball fan like you see the foundation here for a real player and he actually plays a decent center field better than i thought he would because he could could play a very good right yeah i because i that's what he is he's a right fielder but his center field especially in that big ballpark wasn't too bad absolutely crushed it and then Brian De La Cruz, we, killer. we were due. We know Brian De La Cruz has basically only ever hit well in the majors against the New York Mets. Rat? He's he's probably on the rat list. He's moving in. He's moving around. Maybe, maybe uh, yeah, he's up there. I don't think he's John Birdie level just no, yet, but my never. goodness, Brian De La Cruz, a guy who we should never have to worry about, seemingly is a thorn in our side. Continuously a thorn in our side. And this also has kind of continued on a trend of Chris Bassett giving up more home runs than I think any of us, anyone who would pay attention to Bass in the past had been accustomed to. He's been mostly awesome. I'm giving him a lot of credit, but he's already allowed 13 home runs this year, and that's going up against 15 he allowed all of last year. And to be fair, I think that could do with the fact that he played in Oakland. That, yes. That's like one of the hardest ballparks to hit a home well, run. We're talking about City sure. Field and Marlins Park here, too. True, but I think <laughs> I think Oakland just in general, though, I think has really, really bad numbers. You also have some bigger parks out there in the AOS. You also have the Houston Astros Park, which is, as we know, very from, easy at home runs. Yeah, very easy at home runs. But I think, I mean, this isn't any cause of concern for us. This is more of a, Pointing hey, things out. Look, look at this. Look at this stat we got. Yeah, because Chris Bassett, kind of with those home runs being allowed, is kind of allowing them a little bit more frequently to left-handed batters. Eight of those 13 home runs are against lefties in significantly less at-bats. And if you look down the slugging percentage for Bassett versus lefties and righties, you're looking at 476 against lefties versus 305 against righties. So that's the difference between, like, Elvis Andrews and... Mookie Betts. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in terms like, of slugging percentage. Really good hitter. A guy who's barely a major yeah, leaguer. Basically there. So that is something to keep an eye on. But I don't. it's hard to kind of say if that is troublesome or if that's just like bad luck early. Because Chris Bassett's 
home run per fly ball rate, which is like exactly as it sounds, the rate of fly balls that do wind up over the fence is 14.3%, which is a few ticks higher than league average. So I think it is something to give us a little bit of pause because as we get deeper into the summer, we've noticed the run environment changing a little bit from what we were used to early in the season, whether it's getting warmer, humidors doing different things to the baseballs. So maybe it's something to be just take note of, not something to be concerned with, but if Chris Bassett is susceptible to the long ball, something got to pay attention to. But otherwise, another awesome start for Bassett. Seven innings, five strikeouts, three earned, and no walks. Chris Bassett, again, John told us this one, hasn't walked more than three in any start this year. That's so sick. Amazing. That's so sick. I don't. I, maybe you can attest to this too as a fan, and I'm sure you guys feel this. Watching a pitcher walk someone is Man. like maybe top five most frustrating things that can happen in a baseball game. It doesn't really matter when it even happens. Just seeing a walk, it's just like, Grinds my, on. grinds my gears. Free 90s. Free 90s are no good. It's like missing free throws. It's like holding penalties on third down. It's just those things. You're like, why are you giving him a shot here? Yeah. Also, this was the third consecutive start for Bassett that he pitched into the seventh inning. Every single start since that San Diego blow-up, he has gone into the seventh inning. And one of those completing eight. And you so, know, good on Bassett. You know what, too? We talked about the home run problem. The reason it probably also hasn't really hit too hard is because he doesn't walk, guys. There just true. aren't a yeah. whole lot of guys Solo. on base. So there are a lot of solo shots, which good point. we see a guy like Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander do that in their career. I'm not saying Chris Bassett is those guys. But you can give up the long ball and not really get burned by it. Yes, and Bassett has been adept at doing that. But this game was still tied heading into the eighth inning as well as Bassett Pitch, and as much as it felt like we got to Trevor Rogers early. But who else besides Pete Alonso to break the tie once again, solo home run in the eighth to give us the lead. The at-bat after he popped up with bases loaded, nobody out, and snapped his bat over his knee. Yeah, that was to Zach Pop. So this is where yeah, I was Zach talking Pop. about Zach Pop, who came into the game and was throwing 99 with incredible run on his sinker, something I'd never seen him do before. He was he pitched the game of his life, shut down the Mets in an inning where they had a chance to rally. But like you said, Pete ended up getting the second home run. This one, not a cheapie. No, This crushed. was an absolute bomb. It's so crazy that in one baseball game, a player can hit two home runs and snap a bat over his knee. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. It would have to happen literally in this exact order. I think Buck uh, talked about it either before the game or after the game, just talking about Pete Alonso's mental, the mental side of the game for him, and was basically giving him major props as he's a guy who's not satisfied. He wants to continue nice. to make an impact for this team. And that's something you love to hear for a guy who is, I don't want to call the leader of this team because I don't necessarily feel like this team has a you know, one single leader. He's like the spiritual leader. Yes, but he is definitely the guy that I feel like kind of eh, rides the tide here. If he's feeling well, the team's feeling well. And that also is consistent with everything we heard about Pete in the offseason, working with the coaches very diligently, trying to improve his approach, trying to improve his play discipline, and having this real true desire to get on the level of the guys who win MVPs. He doesn't want to just be a guy who hits 40, 50 home runs. He wants to be a guy who also hits close to 300, which he is... He's somehow doing it this year for a guy who does have the elite power like he does. You just don't see that too often. 300 is crazy. I think right now the National League has three, two or three hitters hitting 300. Yes. So that, that's that's crazy. But like just him being, last year we said 260 was the number of 20% strikeout rate. He, he killed both of those. This year, if he can be like an 18% K rate with 270, that is the level at which we're getting MVP. 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 I love saying it. People on Twitter also get so mad. Oh, I, every Cardinals fan. Yeah, I was going to say, especially when I retweet the Mets up tweets about Pete being the MVP, because I, I do have a few Cardinal fo followers. They really, they take the bait every single time. They're like, oh, Paul Goldschmidt exists. He goes, yeah, no one's saying he doesn't. We're just, we're excited about Pete Alonso being an MVP candidate for this team. 
Absolutely. One of these teams is like seven games over 500, and the other one's like 20 games over 500. So yeah. it's a little different. Yeah. Pete Alonso, MVP. Vote for him. Vote for the Mets for the All-Star game, too. That's going to be my plug this episode. There are not enough Mets starting right now. Or at there's least, actually none. Yeah, there's none that are starting right now. And none, and only, I think, one or two that would be getting into the final vote when you get to do the starters again. We have three. Jeff is close. Pete is close. Lindor is close, as expected. Yes. But- Keep moving. Keep, keep pushing. Voting. Just, just stuff Five the ballot. Five a day. Five a day. Stuff the ballot with Five all. Five a day, and if you make up a new email, ten a day. Yeah, and if you make up a second new email, fifteen a day. Now, every single Mets fan, everyone listens to this podcast, fifteen a day. You're looking at like over four million, over four million votes a day. I mean, the Royals back in 2015 had Omar Infante start the game at second base. Blue right? Jays so. are doing it this year. Santiago Espinal. Yeah, <laughs> who's a good little player. Santiago's a great player. <laughs> good little player. Don't just slander him. But yes, <laughs> stuff the ballot box. Anyway. Enough of the all-star voting. Let's finish up this game here. Lugo came in in the eighth inning. Also, Brand Nimmo, RBI, RBI double on insurance run. And then Lugo came in, Lugo came in before that. I yeah. don't know why I jumped on that Nimmo thing. It's that okay. Was, you were excited to talk about Brandon Nimmo because Brandon Nimmo had a great series. Great series. Great, great series. Great ball player. He's a really good ball player. But yeah, Lugo came in, looked sweet in his first appearance after his wife gave birth to his child. Also, I heard this. I think Howie said it. Apparently, John can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I heard that Lugo actually wound up missing the birth, getting stranded at either the airport in Atlanta or something along the way. I no. Maybe fact check me on that, but I feel like I remember Howie saying something. Seth. He did miss it. Yeah, I'm right. And how terrible is that? That's, oh, that's, Pain. that's got to be crushing. You I need a strongly worded letter to whoever, whatever airline was responsible for that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they heard from the Lugo <laughs> estate. I know the airline's not doing well right now. <laughs> Can't stand them. Edwin Diaz ended up coming in the ninth inning. And of course, Edwin Diaz was oh. disgusting again. I mean, he actually was untouchable. He came the side. This was one of the best innings I've ever seen Edwin pitch. It was a strikeout the side. It took like 16 pitches, which is kind of classic Edwin. 102.6 though? Are you kidding me? Yeah, he the 103 popped up on the on the broadcast. I, I lost my mind. The booth didn't even flinch. <laughs> I don't know if that's a credit to Edwin Diaz just being so sick that this is almost expected. No one's surprised anymore. Or the fact that... They didn't even realize that he threw 103. I know you said 102.6, but yeah, he was zipping. It might have been a little bit of a hot gun, too, in Miami, just because I'm all the guys now that I'm thinking about, but I don't care. He came up 102.6. We'll take that. Edwin Diaz, maybe the best closer in baseball. I'm, I'm getting really close to starting to say that. That's not true. It was his fastest pitch of the year. John, do you know if that was one of the fastest of his career? I'm sure it has to be top five fastest of his career. I mean, I know when he came up, he was really hitting like the 102, 103 regularly. Yeah, no, he he's thrown absolute gas. I think, I really do think it was the fastest pitch of his career, but I don't know. Is it, is it really that important for us to get that exactly right? Ah. So we got confirmation. It was indeed the fastest pitch of Edwin Diaz's career. Shout out to Edwin. He's been so money this year. And we win game two. We win the series right here in the first two with a chance for a sweep going into game three. Yeah, when you have that opportunity for the sweep and you're looking at it, you want it so bad, especially in a weekend where the Dodgers are playing the Braves. You know you have a shot to grab another game on them. You're right on it. Yeah, no, and game three, it was an interesting one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't easy to find the game on Peacock. A little bit tough, especially I think the free trial thing didn't necessarily work for some people. I hope they can fix that because the presentation, the, the broadcast was fine. I it's think so crisp. I prefer SNY. I, I prefer Gary Keith and Ron, the best in the biz. But yeah. I think in terms of national broadcasts, 
it was a perfectly acceptable one. And I do think there are a lot of Peacock games this year where they have had like a great, a great booth and ready for it. I remember, I think it was a Phillies game from a few Sundays ago. I just remember them having a lot of colorful characters in the booth. This one, it was okay. Maybe it was just the fact that it had a big Saturday night and this game kind of lulled a little bit with a noon start, but you know, it was fine. We kind of lacked that Mets guy. I know Cliff yeah. Floyd, I think was supposed to be our Mets guy. Tommy he, Hutton, I he, think was the Marlins, but Jason Benetti did a great job, but he's a White Sox guy. So it's a little, it's a little tough when we're used to hearing, you know, real Mets fans talking about the Mets. And Cliff Floyd was a Marlin too as well. He was a Marlin he as well. He might have played almost as much, if not more, as a Marlin I, than I, he did the Mets. They showed him in a Marlins jersey many times on the broadcast. So <laughs> I actually don't even know if the Mets really even had a representative in there. Eh. Not really the biggest thing that no. mattered to me what i do like though about the peacock games though that noon start time is fantastic not bad. you really get that game out of the way getting an hour and a half on the other games you feel like you're you can relax a little bit also maybe if if the ending would have been different it would have been more relaxing better way to drift into sunday but no i don't hate the noon start at all no i don't hate the noon start at all and it felt like the mets didn't hate the noon start either because brandon nimmo right from the rip double right off the bat and he smoked it for the third hardest hit ball of his career at 111.2 miles an hour Yes, and that was the fourth time Brandon Nimmo's career he'd hit a ball in play of at least 111 miles an hour. And get this, all four of those have come since last August. So he's he figured out something in August. We he's saw that strong. home saw that home run against the Marlins too late in the year as well. So Nimmo starting to hit the ball a little bit harder. He just had like a phenomenal series. Yeah, overall. Yeah, bad after this, Brandon Nimmo laced a solo home run. So the first four pitches Brandon Nimmo saw in this game were ball. Ball, double, home run. Which is so unlike Brandon Nimmo to only see four pitches and two at-bats. But also not swinging the bad one. Yes, not swinging a bad one, which is great. He's so good. He's so, so good. good. He's such I a just, good baseball player. I don't know how many times we have to say it. He's great. It seems like he's feeling a little bit healthier, too, because we know he went through that little bit of a yeah. rough patch. It seems like he's starting to get back into the groove of things. He's also just put himself on like an elite tier of leadoff hitters. Like There are not five leadoff hitters, I don't know. And I'm saying this off the cuff right now. I haven't gone through all 30 teams in my head, but... I can't think of that many lead hitters I'd rather have over him. Yeah, I mean, like, Mookie Betts, who's, like, one of the five best players in baseball. Uh, Technically Trey Turner. Acuna. For sure. You're naming the ten best players in baseball right now. You're just naming three of them. Here's a crazy one. I think... Actually, I don't know your answer, but it's like Springer. Yeah, like maybe he, for power it's, wise, you he's, could you could make an argument though either way there. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. But Brandon Nimmo is one hundred percent in that conversation. Altuve, an elite leadoff hitter in yeah, Major League Baseball. Fantastic. But in that first inning, we got too excited about Brandon Nimmo. We wound up with first and second, nobody out, and did not score a run. And that kind of felt like a bit of a bad omen for what was going to happen. Yeah, we spoke about this on the podcast before. Anytime we get that that rally in the first and can't score runs, it usually means something bad. You text me in that moment. We're done. Yeah, I said, don't like this. That's no. not that's not a good sign. And boy, were we right because John Birdie on the other side led off the inning. Was it the first pitch he saw too? Yeah, a quick pitch. Soon. Quick, quick, early quick, in the at-bat. Yeah, early in the at-bat. Blooped a double because of course John Birdie does because that's just, he is such a thorn in our side. I do not like John Birdie unless he's a part of the Mets. Then but I respect I will, him. I respect him though. I will respect him. But oh, that bloop in the first inning really made me go, mm, this isn't going to be an easy game against Daniel Castaño today. No, and then also because the Marlins scratched, uh, got him home after that. And we actually did jump kind of back out, took the lead in the third inning on that Nimmo home run that we mentioned to tie the game. And then Pete Alonso with the funniest cheapest, strangest, most bizarre double I've seen in a very long time with hilariously Jazz Chisholm on the mic kind of saying that Pete ran like a polar bear. Yeah, and, and they were making fun of how he slid. Yeah. To be fair, the slide was not graceful by any means. No, and this, this ball was 51 miles an hour off the bat, traveled an incredible 133 feet and included Pete basically banging his face into the ground. <laughs> couple GPs for Pete this weekend. Yeah. Actually, there was a play I forgot to mention in game two that the slide made me remember. The Lindor 
slide into second. Oh, was that today? That was Sunday. No, that was today. That was Sunday. Yeah. All right, I guess talk about it later then. We'll just we'll just keep going. We'll just keep going. The Mets had a chance to get more runs this inning. They ended up not getting any. They did leave some more guys on. And this was a little bit of a weird theme for this series was that the Mets struggle with runners in scoring position. And I think a big reason why is that the lineup, which normally has Jeff McNeil come up in these spots, was now having Eduardo Escobar or even Luis Guillorme, who is still playing great. Still love Luis, but he can't get a hit every time either. And even James McCann coming up in these last two games because we forgot to mention McCann played in the last yeah, two games he came of the back, series. Activated for Friday, uh, for Saturday or activated on Friday, but started playing. Yeah, on but the Mets struggle with runners in scoring position. I'm just getting the stat here real quick for McCann you guys. McCann also scored the big run on Saturday. I remember him hoofing around the base. He was hoofing. Yeah, he was moving. He was moving. He was moving. But the Mets for this series were four for 27 with runners in scoring position, which was. Not very good. And in this game, one for 13. Not great. And the only hit was that Pete Alonso hit, like I said, that was 51 miles an hour off the bat and traveled 133 feet. So I don't know what it was, but Daniel Castano was able to lock down the Mets, especially when he bared down with runners in scoring position. But this is also something that we talked about a lot last season when we were trying to wonder what is RISP. But RISP is, at some point, it's a bit of a nonsense like stat statistically. Like, it's not that... I, I can't find the word for it right now, but it's a, it's a lot of randomness that goes into just getting hits, especially getting hits with certain men on base. We've seen the Mets excel in it this year because they put the ball in play a lot, have, I believe, the highest batting average in all of baseball still. I think so, yeah. But it's just kind of is some days those balls drop in and some days those don't drop in. And that's kind of, this was a series where they didn't really drop in that much. But we're being a little negative now about the lineup. I do want to give a little tip of the cap to David Peterson, who continues to be amazing taking us two or three steps forward i'd say this year really 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 good i feel like the last few episodes that we've had where he's made an appearance or made a start we've been praising him and been super excited but we've kind of tried to be calm keep it level-headed but it feels like this was a start where everything kind of culminated into the david pearson might just be real good and there were moments early in this game, and happened kind of throughout, where he was like, it felt like he was yanking some of his pitches, like missing high or missing low of the slider. But also, we have to keep in mind that Peterson's wife has been like on the doorstep of giving birth for almost an entire week. And I can't even imagine what that is doing to his psyche and what's going through his mind every single time. He's made two starts since they were like, his wife's about to give birth. <laughs> two cr- starts. Yeah. Our f- Monday and Sunday. Our first episode with the Mets. Yeah. We were talking about David Peterson possibly not even making that start because his wife should have been having a baby. And now it's Sunday and it still hasn't happened yet. So shout out Ms. Peterson. Really hope we get a healthy delivery there soon. But Peterson, seven innings, eight strikeouts, two earned, no walks. Going back for his last two starts, 12 in the third inning, 15 strikeouts, only two earned runs. And just two walks over that last 12 and a third innings. And I'm saying it, guys, this slider that David Peterson has worked to develop over the last few years, throwing it a little bit more now, it is so ridiculous, along with the fact that he's throwing four-seam fastballs high in the zone with sliders low in the zone. I put the little uh, illustrator from Savant up of his pitch chart after this game. Sliders low, fastballs high. He has a plan. He's executing that plan. That slider had nine whiffs, 43% whiff rate. He's, he's so good right now. And him with this repertoire... It makes me think that there is a chance, depending on if we get like all like the best case scenario, like 90th percentile outcome for all of our pitchers the rest of the year, he could be a dominant like long reliever bullpen arm at yeah. some point. Oh, he would have immense value if his Look like spot. Andrew Miller. But he also might be in a scenario where he stays in the starting rotation. He keeps switching like this and giving us seven innings. I'm only saying that because I think he has one of the repertoires in this rotation right now that lends itself the most to 
being successful out of the bullpen, especially the fact that we do need a lefty there. You love throwing guys in the bullpen. I just I just think if you pitch a guy for three innings instead of seven, stuff's gonna be better. And of if, course, yeah. And if all of these starters come back, we have to bump somebody. I guess that's fair. We, somebody some, has to be bumped. Yeah, he probably is the lowest on the totem pole. But he's let, me tell, lefty. let me tell you, the dude is he's awesome. He's, he's so good. He's I'm been so, so happy good. With like him. don't even worry about Hefner, baby. where he's gonna go in the rotation right now. Just be happy that this guy's pitching every five days. Yeah, I'm just saying that being, you know. Yeah, the way he has been, like you said, this slider is a game changer. Watching it on TV now for what is what the fifth sixth start of the year where it's really been you know hammering at home it's just a really really hard pitch to hit pitching ninja's giving him love yes when you're on pitching ninja you know you're doing something right and he's able to throw it successfully against righties and lefties that's what's separating him with this pitch it's unbelievable i think that is where development has come the most because he's very long relied on his changeup which is still i think a decent pitch it's in, fine in terms of everything else but the fact that this slider has become a weapon against players from both sides of the plate it, it gives him very little to no weaknesses. No. And that's a guy, David Peterson, who, we, who we've had choice words for in this podcast. Between his development, between the, any decision made around him, it, there was a lot. But that was it. And I do want to mention, though, that your boy, Miguel Rojas. Another Met killer. Another Met killer. Hit a home run to tie this game. First home run that Peterson's allowed to a righty all year using that slider low and in back foot. But that was kind of tough. And from that moment on, this game lulled at a tie. Yeah, really lulled. The broadcast was oogling over Miguel Rojas' home run. As if the greatest shortstop in baseball. Team leader. Yeah, team leader. They were talking about how great he was. I was like, all right, let's calm down. He has a 700 OPS this year. He's playing fine baseball. Actually, 700 OPS is better than league average. He's playing fine. So that's not, yeah. He's that, playing fine. That wasn't like an insult or anything. No, but they were acting as if he was the Probably MV- like a 110 OPS plus. They were acting like he's the MVP in the making right here, Miguel Rojas, with that home run and how big it was for this Marlins team <laughs> when he hit this. Hey, get them back. <laughs> well, yeah. You need one. Turn it around. You were right. This game lulled and lulled and lulled, and just nothing kind of happened until we got to the ninth, where Adam Adovino's in the game, and he's been so good. So good. He's been great. So great. But the inning started off a little bit weird. Started off a little crazy. Got some hard balls put into play. Luis Guillorme made one of the best catches I've ever seen an infielder make in my entire life. Full Superman dive layout, caught it with the tip of his glove, and this guy just continues to be a wizard in the field. He also had an inning on Saturday where there were back-to-back ground balls over the back that he just went over them and just got it to first base easily. It's like not even surprising anymore. Like he makes the play, and I go, "Yeah, that that's Louis." Of course, Luis Guillorme made it. The guys, of course, national broadcasters, they don't watch. I'm sure Jason Benetti, he's busy watching the White Sox. Yeah, he was flabbergasted, <laughs> and that's to be fair, that was the appropriate reaction to have on this play because it was absolutely disgusting yeah we're approaching a point where like us Mets fans we know Luis Guillermo very well now but he's probably one of the better kept secrets in baseball 100% yeah he's a he's a fantastically kept secret he's such a secret he's not on the all-star ballot write him in Luis Guillermo for all-star game third base DH catcher I believe you're allowed to write him in for write him in anywhere you can but right after this catch I mean what not even a pitch or two later I don't remember because it was just it, it happened in a blur Nick Fortes just absolutely Nuke. smokes smokes a hanging slider from Adam Adovino. Happens. And uh, tip yeah. the cap, Mets lose this game, walk-off home run. It stunk because the Mets should have beat Daniel Castano and the Marlins bullpen and Stephen Okert and all these random guys that they threw out there. Okert's actually nice. Yeah, but they're all random. I'm uh, No, but that that mean, they just because the Ram does not mean they're good. That's uh, how relievers work. The shelf life is unbelievable. They're like fruit flies. Yeah, exactly. They're like fruit flies. Why couldn't he be a fruit fly this game and stink? But <laughs> well, I'm saying fruit flies is the fact that they, they come quickly and they leave fast. 
whatever. I'm I'm not going to give the Marlins bullpen as much credit as you are. But that's just this that's the first step when you see a team figuring it out that they have guys like Louis uh, Stephen Oker pop out of nowhere and Jimmy Yacobone is throwing 14 inch breaking two seam fastballs. Zach Pop all the other days. Zach Pop throwing 98 miles an hour. Two years ago I told you about Zach Pop. He just had an eight miles an hour velocity. Yeah, you got you got lucky with that one. There was no reason for <laughs> Zach I like the slider. I yeah. like the slider. Marlins they've had a lot of really really close games this year. They're actually tied for the most walk off losses. So I mean. They, they got one here, and... That could yeah. also be a function of, like, road games versus home games. Well, they were saying that they just, they play a lot of really close yeah. one-run games in general. Because they pitch pretty well. They pitch all right. They, they pitch, pitch pretty well. They pitch pretty well. That's exactly They also what I don't said. score a lot of runs. No, exactly. That's why you get a lot of walk-off situations. But overall, you can't really be that upset with this series. Like, guys played well. Also, I do, again, we didn't talk about it. I want to shout out that Francisco Lindor slide. I don't remember what day it happened. It's been, again, a long weekend. I've been two boroughs and two states today. Him just swim moving like Supermaning out of the way of the Jazz Chisholm tag was crazy. Yeah, that was on Saturday. That was Saturday because Jazz was, was playing. Game, yeah. Such a sweet, cool, chill play. Hit his face on the ground too. It was kind of funny. But. Marlins couldn't win a single challenge. They challenged, I feel like, every play of the series and lost every single one of them. Their, their replay guy, horrible. That, Our replay guy, great. Buck was giving mad props to the replay guy after the double challenge. Replay analyst, nice. I love that. That's also when you're losing challenges. That's kind of the sign of a coach who's losing his way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge Don Mattingly supporter. That's like, oh, someone, what is one NFL? Oh, what's his name? Nagy. Matt Nagy did it. Like, he had so many bad challenges last year, just being like, I hope they changed the call. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it did not work out well. Mets still win the series, though. Again, I saw some negative discourse still, and it's be, it's got to be because the Braves are breathing, breathing down our back. But this is a different... Five, five is breathing down? This is a different breathing down our back than in years past. Like, again, last year we talked about it. At this time, we were like seven games above 500 when the Braves were five out. We're 20 games above I think above by this 500. time last year, this Mets team was already really floundering. Yeah, they were starting to. They were starting to. They, they were, were starting to, like, in the middle of they were They were seven games above 500, I know oh, for a this fact. Exact yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I know for a fact. It was seven or six games. So it was like... A lot different than being 20 games over 500 like the Mets currently are. Don't worry about the Braves. Worry about the Mets. The Mets won two of three. That's a good series for them. It could have been great, though. And there's also a situation where it was a bad risk series. I don't even like saying that word. Just sometimes the balls drop and sometimes they don't. That's the nature of the statistic. And I'm confident that the way this team's hit this year... That good things are will happen eventually. And I hope that they continue to hit going into this next series because the Astros are coming to town for a two-game series, thank goodness, after having a four-game series with the Yankees in which a they hot, split. A hot two-game series. They had, what, like series. 16 innings where the Yankees didn't get a hit in a row. The and, pitching and, they, is, and they still found ways to lose two games. Yeah, the pitching has been unbelievable. So we know, we just saw them recently. We saw them last week. We know this isn't going to be an easy series. One of the better teams in all of baseball, but just like the Mets. Also, one of the better teams in all of baseball. So, what are the pitching matchups looking like here? Who are we going to see? Let's Who are we going to smack around? Because I think the Mets' bats are going to come alive in City Field. We're going to see one guy we saw last week. Tuesday night is going to be Carlos Carrasco versus Luis Garcia. And Wednesday... I don't know who's going to pitch Wednesday for the Mets, technically, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's—it says Trevor Williams, I think, on ESPN, but— I think it's possible that could be the return, no, possibly. No, no, he's they doing, said no, no, he's doing a rehab start Oh, no, sure. rehab start? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I missed that again. Did you, did you not see uh, Scherzer's uh, thing at—or press—I don't want to say press conference because it's not right, but Max was talking to the reporters. I don't know if it was in Florida or in Miami, wherever it was, but he was stressing, I cannot have a setback. We cannot have a yeah, setback. Okay. Like, which, he, which is true. His energy was nuts. He's, yes. He, I, 
He was also in the dugout. He was hyping up Lindor on Saturday, too. Yeah, no, I think this guy is itching to get back. He just wants to make sure it's right so that he doesn't have to ever miss any more time with this team. Yeah, I don't really want him to at all. So that, I guess that probably will be Trevor Williams. Though. Yeah, probably Trevor was, Williams. There was an off day, so we can operate with four pitchers. You, We could in theory. Yeah, we could in theory. See what the Mets do uh, with these arms. It'll always be interesting. And that game's going to be against Framber Valdez, who is hilarious. Ground ball uh, machine. I love Framber Valdez. He's apparently also like a really like flamboyant guy. Like he dresses like in crazy stuff. He has a lot of fun. He's got high energy. He just goes out there and throws bowling ball sinkers over and over again until he pounds him into the ground. His story is also really interesting too because he was a prospect in the Astros. I don't know in the Astros, whatever organization he was in, it was probably the Astros. I think it was always Astros. But he was struggling. He was having a hard time pitching, and he ended up getting a sports psychologist. And really? the sports psychologist cleared his brain. Nice. And that's what really he credits for his career taking off was being able to master the mental side. He always had the physical ability as a pitcher, but the mental side had always been tough for him. And ever since then, Framber Valdez has low-key been one of the better pitchers in baseball. He just he gets ground balls at such a rate that it's almost impossible for you to do legitimate damage against him. 69% ground balls on the year. Nice. Nice. Six innings pitch and 11 straight starts. Going back over three years, the guy is a horse. I think he's one of the few pitchers in baseball averaging six innings pitch. Going back to 2000, I, saw, I had this tweet from a, like a month ago on the first pitch when I used to do that podcast. Throw six innings a lot. He, he, he just, it's hard to do damage against him. He keeps the ball down. He doesn't let you lift it. And he just pounds, 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 pounds the zone. Jeremy Pena will also be back for the Astros in this series. Exciting young shortstop. He's sick. He's unbelievable. He's like... He looks like a running back. Like, yeah. He's so strong. Like His neck is like, why are you playing baseball? Extremely talented. Would have loved to have seen him miss a little bit. I would have yeah. loved to have seen a little more Mauricio Dubon. Yeah, I think he'll, probably still, he'll still mix in this series. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Yeah, he'll find a way. Sastro's team, though, we just saw him. We know how good they are. They are one of the best teams in baseball, one of the most consistent organizations in baseball. They don't really do a lot of things wrong. The top of their order is ferocious. It is going to be a little interesting to see them play outside Minute Maid, though, this year. Not as easy to get the ball out in right field at City Field as it is in Minute Maid Park. Or so, left field. Or left field. Uh, left field, City Field is not the hardest to get out of. No, it's not the hardest, but Crawford boxes compared yeah, to anything. Yeah, is yeah. like you're playing in a little league part. If you're in the area, you really should come to the Astros-Mets series because you yeah. get to see Jordan Alvarez, who is one of the best hitters in all of baseball. You get to see an extremely talented team. Kyle Tucker, Michael Brantley, you're Alex also, Bregman. You're also going to look at Jose Altuve, whose his prime is waning. He is one of the marquee players players of our generation probably one of the best ratios ever of height to talent that we've ever seen across any sport he's pretty ridiculous he's unbelievable he's a great player first time back in Queens since 2014 September 2014 and we'll also be at both games yep we will be both be there so if you see us at the stadium make sure to say what's up we are happy to talk to you guys we appreciate you guys all for listening to the podcast the Mets Up podcast the official podcast of the New York Mets still still pretty crazy that we do get to say that on a episodal episodial basis is that the word episodal episodal episodic definitely not episodic we're not we're not words people we're not words guy we like baseball over here that's what we're here to talk to you guys about thank you so much for listening to this episode of the messed up podcast if you're listening to us apple podcast spotify google odyssey wherever you get your podcasts drop us a rating drop us a review follow us on all our social media at messed up on twitter instagram the youtube if you're looking for the youtube videos they are on the official mets youtube channel so keep an eye out for those Follow James on Twitter at James Shiano. Follow me on Twitter at GiraffeNeckMark. I don't think we have anything else to shout out here, right? Nothing really. Just got to beat this Astros team. They're one of the best teams in baseball. You want to be one of the best teams in baseball, you got to beat one of the best teams in baseball. And you know what? I think the, I think the Mets do. I think we're going to be all right this series. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on the next episode after the Astros series. Peace out. Peace out. See you next time.